Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Tonight, I thought, uh, as we open up, um, you can go ahead. How many of y'all have your Bibles? Let me see the Bible. Let me see the, the Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, um, we have a Bible that we would like to give you when we leave tonight. So if, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, nobody's ever given you a Bible, you don't have a Bible at home, um, we'd love to give you a Bible. Um, we think it's a pretty big deal around here, and we'd love for you to have your own copy of God's Word that you can, you can study, underline, uh, make a big deal in your life. So I thought I'd start by kind of asking the question, what makes a Christian a Christian? And I know the Sunday school answer. But let's talk about some of the wrong answers that sometimes people kind of believe. Um, the first is that you can tell you're a Christian by how many Jesus bracelets you have on. Nothing wrong with Jesus bracelets or Christian bracelets. How many of y'all have some kind of Christian merch on your arm? Nothing wrong with that, uh, right? But some people think that, you know. What about refuel merch? That's, that's not a plug at all that we're selling refuel merch. Shirts are $10, hats are $15. I sound like Pastor Lemming on Sunday morning, right? But we're not, we're not a, yeah, but yeah, some of you kind of wear your refuel shirt, you know, loud and proud. We got some, who, who here has a, re, we got three guys right up here with a refuel shirt. Ian has a refuel shirt on. Sarah has a refuel shirt on. Who else? Had, nobody over here has a refuel shirt on? Sinners on this side of the auditorium. Okay, so. But uh, you, you, you're loud and proud about your, about your student ministry, about your youth group, but does that make you a Christian? No. I thought that I got four more examples of what does not make you a Christian. I thought I would share them through got one of, you know, this method of communication that God has given to us recently, which Jeff Burdick back there has become a master at. It is communication through memes. So I'll share some other memes that maybe think, yeah, what, what, is, yeah, what, what, what does not make you a Christian? So I like this one. It says, Jesus, you've returned. In what meaningful way should we honor your death and resurrection? Eggs. <laughs> so being a Christian is not about decorating eggs on Easter. Um, it also does not mean praying before meals. You know, sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves at refuel and we have to retroactively bless pizza and other kinds of items, you know. Have you ever, have you ever just sat down and you started eating and somebody's like, let's pray, and you just got this mouthful of food? You don't know whether to swallow it. You don't know whether to spit it out and then eat it again after it's been prayed over. You don't know what to do. So sometimes people think, well, as long as you pray before your meals, you're a Christian. That's a Christian thing to do. Uh, not using the number 666. Um, this is a picture of like a Catholic school and the locker number goes 665, 667. Do they do that at Grace Brady? They don't have that many lockers probably. Um, so so you know, not using that number because it's the satanic number. Or sometimes like pretending to be perfect at church. I'm not going to... Don't raise your hand here, okay? Do not, do not raise your hand. No, you're already raising your hands. How many of you can relate to this picture? <laughs> your mom before church, like, ah, you know, and your mom, like, when you arrive at church, oh, praise the Lord. God's just been so good to my life. He's given me the sweetest kids, you know. So what makes you, what makes you a Christian? Uh, we're in a series called In Christ. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians, and we have made it to chapter 2. The first week we did the first section of chapter 1, we talked about the umbrella of salvation. How God, even before there was an earth, he created a plan to save us all. 
Then last week we talked about this prayer that Paul prayed that our eyes would be wide open to who we are in Christ. And the past two weeks we've kind of been thinking about this thought that the greatest lesson you can learn this school year is who you are in Christ. Now today we get into chapter 2 of Ephesians and I've called this first section of chapter 2, this is kind of the title, I came up with myself, I did not listen to any kind of music to come up with this title, The Story of Us. Um, I, I did not get that from Taylor Swift. Or maybe I did. Maybe I was listening to that song and I thought, that'd be a good title for this lesson. Um, so tonight's title is The Story of Us. Because the question is, what makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is your story about what Jesus did in your life. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not about skipping over the number 666. It's not about bracelets or Easter eggs or pretending to be something at church that you're really not in real life. Tonight, kind of the big lesson in a sentence is every believer, every Christian has a story in Christ. But do you? So in Ephesians, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two and we're only in the first 10 verses. So it's a shorter passage tonight. We're going to read this together, then we're going to pray over it, and then I'm probably going to get a drink of water. How's that sound? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and you were dead. Say dead. dead. It's a fun word to say. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Pretty depressing so far. But God, being rich in mercy. Look to the person next to you and say, but God. God. Now look to the person on the other side and say, that's a big but. Okay. This is one of the big buts of the Bible. You know, a few years ago, we did a series, and it was called The Big Butts of the Bible. And like our logo for the series was like this peach emoji, right? So... But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead, say dead, dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Say alive. alive. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness, riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the, here's the home run. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. God, we've read these verses, and it, there's so much here. Uh, it's such a big, big, big thing to think about. So God, I pray the prayer that we prayed last week, that the eyes of our hearts will be opened to truly understand how incredible our story is, the story of us, and how you saved our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're talking about something that maybe you've heard a lot of sermons about, or maybe you've never heard about. Tonight, what we're talking about is salvation. 
What we're talking about is what it means to be saved. And some of you, if you're like me, when you hear that, we're talking about salvation, you're like, oh, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I'm good. I see a lot of people around me, though, they need to get right with Jesus. You know, we automatically, when we hear we're talking about salvation, we tune it out. But the truth is, we... It takes a moment to put your trust in Christ. It takes a moment to be saved. It takes a lifetime to discover all the things that happen in that moment. And what we're doing tonight is we're discovering some of those things that happen in that moment when in faith you trusted Jesus as your savior if you're a Christian. If you came here and you don't know if you're saved, you don't know if you're a Christian, tonight you're gonna get to understand what it means to be saved. So we're gonna be talking tonight about three prepositions of salvation. Does anybody, I shouldn't ask, because it sounds too much like school, but have you ever heard the term preposition before? Some of you have heard the term preposition. You know what preposition, can anybody list some prepositions? About, above, above, across, after, against, stuff like that, right? Well, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? What are the prepositions of salvation? Tonight, we're going to think about in this passage of scripture, three prepositions in sa- of, of salvation. And if you're a note taker, if you're a Bible underliner, if you like to mark in your Bible, I would really encourage you to mark these three prepositions of salvation. So we're going to talk about them one at a time. The first one is from. Everybody say from. from. We learn what we were saved from. I'm going to like I'm going to circle a big section of this passage here. This whole section here tells us what we're saved from. You know anyone who's ever been saved from anything had to be saved from something. I remember when I was a kid, I shouldn't get too far into this, but were any of y'all cubbies when you were kids? Okay. Let me ask the next question. Were, there, were any of you all LMBC cubbies and you had Miss Joan as your cubby leader? The OG, okay. So Miss Joan was the sweetest little lady. Now, when I was a cubby, I can't fit into my cubby vest anymore. But when I was a cubby, Miss Joan used to have a pool at her house. And Miss Joan decided she was gonna have a cubby's pool party. I mean, you talk about a rager, a, a, a cubby's pool party. And I couldn't swim when I was a cubby. And I didn't realize her pool was pretty deep. And I remember jumping in and not being able to swim. And this big burly man named Jimmy King reached down and grabbed me and pulled me out of the pool. I was saved from drowning, right? If you're saved, it means you've been saved from something. And the first four verses here tell us what we were saved from. The first thing that we realize is the big, the big daddy of them all is that we were saved from our trespasses and our sins. We were saved from being against God. What does sin do to us? Well, it puts distance between us and God, but it does something even worse than that. It makes us dead. Now look at the person next to you. They don't look very dead to you, do they? I mean, they've got a pulse, they're alive. What does it mean to be dead in our sins? When I started as a youth pastor a few years ago, 
the biggest thing was zombies. I don't know if, you, if any of you are old enough to remember the, the obsession people had with zombies, like The Walking Dead had just come out. Everything was zombie, 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 zombie. We even did a zombie series at Refuel and made videos about it. And I've been told that if you go back long enough on our YouTube channel, you can find those zombie videos we did that have a little sixth grade musgrave with his little chubby cheeks in that video. Um, so, so when you think about zombies... They're dead, right? But they're not just dead. They are the what dead? They're the walking dead. They're dead, but they're still moving. And that's, you may not be a zombie person, and that may be creepy to you, but it's a really good way to describe the way we were in the story of us before Jesus, before Jesus saved us. We were, you may want to write this down, we were spiritually dead even though we were physically alive. We were spiritually dead. We had an immediate spiritual death when we sinned. We had an impending physical death, right? And what happens after the physical death? An eternal death in a place called hell. We were in trouble. How do we know that we were dead? Well, he gives us three, he gives us three indicators of how we know that we were dead. I've already talked about prepositions. I hate to use another grammar term. Have you ever heard of the word participle? Have you ever heard of the word dangling participle? It sounds like something a doctor has to remove from some part of your body. That's really embarrassing. I don't know. But there are three participles that, that, that inform what it means to be dead. And they all have to do with our enemy. Did you know you have a spiritual enemy? It's not your mom. It's not your trigonometry teacher. Who was it? That, hey, yeah, it was Josh. Yeah, right? This trigonometry teacher. We have an enemy. And did you know that just like God is three people in one, our enemy is a, the big word is tripartite. There are, there are three parts of the enemy that we face and that we follow. Look at it. It says following the course of this world. That's enemy number one, the world. The world is against us. What does it mean? What does the world mean? Does it mean like literally the globe? It means the system of the world. Did you know that the world, the system that's around us, the pattern that we're asked to follow is not a pattern that pleases God? You knew that, right? We're not in the, we're not in the majority. We're in the minority. Go to homecoming and you'll realize I'm in the minority, right? The pattern of the world is to do that, things that we can't even talk about in the middle of that circle that happens at homecoming or at prom, right? That's the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world is to be just an absolute turd to people around you and pick on others at school. That's the pattern of the world. The the systems around us are pre-programmed to cause us to sin and we follow the pattern of the world. There's another following though, following the prince of the power of the air. Anybody know who that is? Exactly right. That's Satan. That's the next part of our enemy. We have a three-person enemy, the world and Satan. You know what the Bible says about Satan? It says that he is the father of lies. This is what Jesus said about Satan. You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. What's he talking about there? He's talking about creation. When Satan was a snake. How many of y'all hate snakes? When Satan was a snake and he caused Eve to doubt God's word. 
and he, he, he lied to Eve. And ever since then, that's been his MO. That's been his playbook is to get us to doubt, to misunderstand, and to mistrust God's word. It says he's a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and a father of lies. That's the second part of that enemy. You not only had the world around you that was causing you to sin and you were following the world, you had Satan who was against you and was planting seeds of mistruth in your mind. You ever wonder how all of a sudden you get these terrible ideas to do the wrong things? You're like, where'd that come from? It came from the father of lies. It came from Satan who's against you. So we have the world around us. We have Satan against us. But this, this is the one that is, is, is the most difficult for us. Carrying out the desires of, so that's the, there's the participle there. Carrying out the desires of what? The body and mind. The third part of our enemy is us. It's our flesh. It's our sin nature. You know y'all were born with a sin nature? I was born with a sin nature. Did your mom have to tell you to do things she didn't want you to do when you were a, kid, a little kid? Did your mom have to tell you to talk back? <laughs> no, you were just born that way, weren't you? you, you some of you are really good at it, right? You, you didn't have to be, you didn't, you didn't, <laughs> I don't know if I'd applaud myself for that or not, but whatever. Um, that you didn't have to learn how to talk back. You didn't have to learn um, how to beat up on your brothers and sisters, did you? Although some of you have perfected the art. Um, it's inside you. See, that's the thing. Your parents can protect you from the world to a degree, they can cut things off on your phone and they can tell you not to hang out with those people, not to go to these places. They can't protect you from yourself. Have you ever come to the place where you felt like you were your own worst enemy? Like I just keep messing it up. It's because part of the enemy is your flesh. So that's our enemy. The world against us, or excuse me, the world around us, Satan against us. Our flesh, our person inside us. And it says, what does it say about us? It says, we were by nature children of wrath. What is it that makes a dog act like a dog? What's that? They're exact sailor nail. They're a dog. What makes a dog act like a dog? The fact that they are a dog. What makes a sinner act like a sinner? The fact that they were born with a sin nature. This is our default setting. When you get an iPhone, a new iPhone, it is at the default setting, right? When we're born, our default setting is sin. Who's going to save us from this? If we're dead, spiritually dead, I'll tell you who's going to save us from this. Let me get a new color. But God, I like big butts and I cannot lie. But God. So that's the next thing we learn. We're not, we learn what we're safe from. Because before the but God, the story of us seems a lot like a tragedy now. Right? But we're saved by. We're saved by God. Look at some of the things that we learn about God. God's motives are pure. It says that he's rich in mercy. You know what mercy means, right? What does mercy mean? Anybody want to give me a definition of mercy? What does mercy mean? Do what? Well, Christ paid, right? Yeah. Mercy is having the right to do something to someone but withholding it. 
He's rich in mercy. He's great in love, which he loved us. And by the way, that's why I call it the story of us, not just the story of me and the story of you, is because he's writing to a church here and describing what God did in each of their lives because they're Christians. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he did what? He made us alive together with Christ. He took these spiritual zombies and brought them to life. And then it says, by what? By grace you have been saved. What was God's method? We talked about what God's motives was his method. His method was Jesus. He made us alive together with Christ. How could God save someone who is a sinner? How could God put life in someone who is spiritually dead? It's because when Jesus died on the cross and he hung on that cross with nails in his hands and a spear was put through his side and he gave up his spirit and he said, it is finished. What did he mean when he said it is finished? It meant that our sins had been paid for because he was the only perfect one. And he took all our sins on us. So when he said it is finished and he died, our sins died with him. So that was God's motives. He's rich in mercy, love and grace. God's method was Jesus. The question is, what are we supposed to do about it? What's our move? <laughs> well, you don't put on a bunch of Christian bracelets and call yourself saved. It's by faith. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. I've got a picture here of a present. Everybody loves to get presents, right? Does anybody not like getting presents? Everybody loves getting presents. What's the best gift you've ever received? Let me hear some really good ones. Socks, okay. Macy? Your cat? That's a good gift. Money, yeah. So uh, when, when somebody gives you a gift... What do you do? If I had a gift to give Gabe, you say thank you, but what do you have to do first? You got to take it, don't you? Actually, I really need that water. Thank you. Um, You have to take it. The gift of salvation that God made available to us, how do we receive it? Let me go back to, anybody know? How do we receive it? What did it say? Through faith, by believing. Some people say, well, if God's gift has to be received, doesn't that mean you have to work for it? No. God paid the price. He bought the gift. All you have to do is say, I'll receive it, right? That's the only way to be made right with God. We're saved by We're saved by Jesus. Does that make sense? Saved from our sins. Following the course of this world. Following the, the enemy. Following Satan. Following the desires of our flesh. We're saved from sin and being dead. And we're saved by Jesus. Most people stop there. That's why some of you checked out. You're like, already did that. Already received that gift through faith. Did you know you weren't just saved from something and you weren't just saved by something, but you were saved to something? Some of you don't believe me. Let's look at it. It says, for what? Let me get a new color here. Let's do pink. It's my favorite color. For we are are his workmanship. You know, another 
another word that can be interchanged with that is the word masterpiece. It has the idea of, of a piece of art that is in progress. That's why when I have the little picture of Save 2, I've got this dude on here. Does anybody know who this guy is? He's, yeah, yeah, it's Bob, isn't it? Have, have any of you all watched Bob on Netflix? Watch Bob Ross? He's got the most soothing voice, right? And he just, oh, let's just put a little tree here. Let's just, and, and at the beginning, you're like, what is he doing? What is he, what, what is he painting? It looks like a skin mark. But then as he's going... It starts taking shape and you start to see trees and you start to see rivers and you start to see mountains and you start to see leaves and it's this beautiful piece of art. You know that you are being put together by God. Just like he saved you from sin and death and he saved you by Christ, he is saving you to becoming who he wants you to be. So not only are we his workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus, there's another in Christ. Did anybody try to count the in Christs yet? Miles, how many did you get? 24. 24. You're getting close. There's actually more. 37. Josh got 37. Give it up for Josh. That was the number I got to. Maybe you can, maybe you can find more. Did anybody find more than 37? Because that was the number I found. And I read it through like a million times. So way to go, Miles. Way to go, Josh, for reading through that. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, say good works, good works, which God, oh, now we're back to that umbrella of salvation, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Sit in them? Too many Christians try to sit in their salvation, that we should walk in them. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. We're not just saved from, we're not just saved by, we're saved to. Some people try to earn their salvation. They think if they do enough good things, if they do enough Christian things, they'll become a Christian. Almost like if I sit in a garage long enough, I may become a car. It's the same thought process. If I do enough Christian things, I may become a Christian. Some people try to work for their salvation. Some people try to work to keep their salvation. And they had a moment they put their faith and trust in Jesus where they thought, well, if I talk back to my parents, maybe I'll lose my salvation. If I do something really bad at school, I may lose my salvation. What we learn here is you can't work for it. You can't work to keep it. You can't even work to prove it, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who seals you and who indicates that you are his. But you can work from it. You can't work for it. You can't work to keep it. You can't work to prove it. But you can work from it. You don't do good works to get saved. You get saved to do good works. Every believer has a story. And that story is being saved from sin. Being saved by Jesus. Being saved to good works. And that's our identity in Christ. I didn't... I usually try to ask people if I can use them as an example, and I didn't ask this person. So, no, I mean, I've already got it picked out. It's a story that I'm going to tell about one of y'all. Um, and I, I, I probably should have asked before, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. Tucker McClinic, where's he? Back there. Tucker. Yeah, Tucker's my example. Uh, we had a project, middle school boys at D-Now. And how many of y'all were on that project with me? We were clearing all that brush out of, the, out of Miss... Uh, um, 
What's her name's house? <laughs> I can't remember her name. Taylor, Miss Irene Taylor's house. And it was hard work. You all, y'all remember, it was, it was some, some tough work. And, you know, sometimes you know, I kind of go around and just try to encourage people. And I, I noticed that Tucker was working really hard. I mean, everybody was working hard. Tucker was absolutely busting it. And I'm, Tucker probably doesn't remember me saying this, but I said, man, you're just working so hard. I really appreciate it. And what Tucker said really kind of, I was like, that's going to be a sermon illustration one day. He said, well, of course, he said, I'm a mechanic. We work hard. <laughs> and uh, I know that to be true because, you know, I know your dad. I know your grandpa really well. I did a mission trip with him down in White Sulphur Springs, and he was one of the hardest working guys I've ever met, your grandpa. So Tucker provided me an example and didn't even realize it. He didn't work hard so that he could become a mechanic. He's already got the birth certificate, right? Like, yeah, your parents can't get rid of you ever, even if they tried, right? <laughs> like, they're stuck with you, right? So he didn't work to try to become a mechanic or to try to stay a mechanic. He worked... Because, you didn't think your name was going to be said this many times tonight. Sorry about that. He worked because of who he was. Do you see the parallel with our salvation? We don't work to try to become a Christian. We don't try, work to try to stay a Christian. We don't work to try to prove that we're in Christ. We work for Jesus because we're in him. Because that's our identity. Does that make sense? Isn't that freeing? To know that you don't have to work to earn something. Salvation isn't opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. So, every believer has a story. It's the story of us, the story of all who have become a Christian. The question is, do you have a story like that? So for the next minute, I just want you to kind of, you figuratively speaking, not literally, draw a circle around yourself. The people sitting next to you, kind of ignore them. They're not your friends for the next five minutes. Okay, so look at the person next to you and say, you're not my friend for the next five minutes. Right? Okay. So now that you don't have any friends, I'm your friend. I'm your buddy. So I want you to just, I'm kind of going to kind of lean in. So I want to ask you to kind of lean in here with me. And I want to I ask you three questions. One of these three things is something you need to do tonight. So I want to ask you, which of these three things do you need to do tonight? The first is to get right with God positionally. When I was talking about having a story where you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, do you have a, do you have a story like that? Has there been a time where you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? He did all the work. All you have to do is receive the gift and become saved and to have an eternal future with Jesus, eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. Here in a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never put your faith and you never put your trust in Jesus, will you quietly in your heart, you don't have to say it out loud, but will you quietly pray to God and ask him to save you and trust in Jesus tonight? Will you do that? If you've never done that before, get right with God positionally. The next thing, maybe some of you need to do this. You need to live for God practically. You've been saved for five years. Some of y'all been saved for 10 years. And you've been saved by, from and you've been saved by, but you've never realized that you're saved too. Because of who you are, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you walk through the halls of Huntington High School and Cabell Midland and Grace and Covenant. It changes the way that you relate to your family. Will you live for God in a practical way? Will you commit tonight to live to God practically? Then finally, we need to give God the praise he's due. The whole point of this book, it's a praise book. 
When's the last time you stopped and you just thought about the incredible truth, if you're saved, that Jesus saved you? He went through all the agony of the cross to give you an identity of being in Christ. That should cause us to praise him. Something I want, I'm gonna encourage you to do tonight after we say amen or when you get home is to take a picture of this passage in Ephesians chapter two. Mine's kind of marked up. Maybe yours is now. At the end of the night, it's marked up. If you wanna praise God, do it in front of others. I just encourage you, you don't have to do this. This doesn't make you a Christian. But take a picture of this. Put it on your story or make a post and just caption it simply, this is my story. Because this is the story of us. That we were dead in our sins. But God, rich in mercy, saved us by grace. We received it through faith. And he's creating a masterpiece in our lives as we serve him. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I'm going to give you a moment. You still have no friends. I'm going to give you a moment. If you need to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you need to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. you need to make a commitment to God not to work for your salvation to, to work from your salvation if you're a Christian but you just got saved and never really did anything after that and you say I want to dedicate my life to God do that now and if you're so full of praise and it's so incredible for you to think about that that's your story that you see on the pages of scripture I want to encourage you later. Praise God for it in a public way. Take a picture of that passage. Post it to your story or post it to your Instagram or send it to a friend and say, this is my story. Before I dismiss in prayer tonight, I do want to, in a special way, encourage you, if you pray tonight to receive that gift of salvation. Uh, my wife, April, you saw her as you were coming in this, this evening at the check-in table. She's going to be standing right there by the doors. If you'll tell her, I received Jesus tonight, there's a book that we'd like to give you that can help you get started in your walk with Jesus. Gives you some verses that you can read and some prayers that you can pray to get started living for him. So if you trusted Jesus tonight, um, please go to the back and talk to April or you can come up and talk to me. There's something we'd like to give to you tonight. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Now, God, for so many of us tonight, this is our story. This is the way that you saved us. You took those of us who were dead and you made us alive. We were following the course of the world and following Satan and, and following the desires of our flesh and now we're following you. You did all the work and it was hard work on the cross, on Calvary, so that we could simply receive your gift. It's so humbling to think about. So God, I pray tonight as we praise you for what you have done for us, um, God, it will cause us to want to live for you, a life that's pleasing to you. Not because we're afraid you're going to take salvation away from us, 
but because we're so full of praise to you. Lord, I pray if there's someone here tonight that's put their faith in Christ or needs to put their faith in Christ, that they will go talk to April so that she can give them that gift and rejoice with them and be happy for them before they leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.